This morning we're reading from Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there, and he walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that that the crowd wondered, when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on their way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. don't know how many of you have ever or remember taking a test. Every Sunday I stand before you, I feel like I'm getting ready to take a test. You know that feeling that you've studied everything, you look at it one last time and you get there and you think, okay, I just, I just want to remember everything I put in my mind. And uh, so I was sitting there praying, Lord, to help me, I'm going to make sense of this passage and just, uh, just put it before you this morning. This, this passage, as so many others in the Gospel of Matthew, has just both encouraged but first just torn my heart apart and then rebuilt it and encouraged me in the Lord. So I pray that some of that will come across and I know that it will be the work of the Spirit if that happens this morning from His Word. So keep your Bible open, if you will, with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew is telling us the story of Jesus. He has introduced us to Him and shown us His great power He's shown us his authoritative teaching, and he's shown us Jesus calling those around him to faith. 
And over the past couple of chapters in this gospel, we've seen two primary themes come out. And I just want to highlight those for you as we get into the end of chapter 15, because these are primary themes that we're going to see and we're going to keep seeing, I think, through at least through the end of 16, where we have this pinnacle of confession of faith by Peter. But over the last couple of chapters, we've seen two things. First, a growing rejection and even a hostility toward Jesus. A growing rejection and even a hostility toward Jesus, especially by the religious leaders. His power and His authority threatens their traditions and their teaching. They have put the people under the yoke of their own authority. And so Jesus is threatening that. And so when he gets to his hometown, you see Jesus being rejected in John chapter 13, the end of the text. He's rejected by his hometown. In chapter 14, he's rejected by Herod, who is the king of the Jews, who fears him. And Jesus has to withdraw. Not only do we see a growing rejection and hostility toward Jesus, we also see a growing understanding and trust in Jesus, primarily by his disciples. So in chapter 12, Matthew shows us the parables of the kingdom of God and how they instruct both his disciples and us about this kingdom that Jesus has come to proclaim. In chapter 14, we see the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus is shown clearly as the new Moses who graciously and miraculously provides for the needs of his people and he teaches his disciples his provision, his power through that. There in the end of chapter 14, We saw Jesus walking on water. He invites Peter to walk on water. And in the end, Jesus calls Peter, Oh, little faith one. He renames him little faith one there. And he challenges his doubt in the midst of his fear. And what we see that Jesus is doing with his disciples in the midst of the the hostility, in the midst of his ministry to uh, the crowds, is that Jesus is bringing his disciples to a point of trust. And even there with Peter and the walking on the water, Jesus shows the disciples that the object of your faith is what makes all the difference, not the size of your faith. Because even if Peter was the one of little faith, when his faith was in Christ, he was able to step out of the boat, he was able to walk on top of the water, and it's only when Peter begins to trust himself and look other places when his life begins to fall apart and he begins to sink in the midst of the water and cries out to the Lord. Last week we saw in the beginning of chapter 15 both of these themes come together in one passage, rejection and hostility as well as growth and understanding. You see, the Pharisees' unbelief was exposed by Jesus through their hostility toward him as this official contingent from Jerusalem is sent to confront Jesus. Their trust was in their own man-made traditions, and they believed, get this, this is key for today, they believed that their own traditions was what could make them clean. And Jesus confronted that trust. And he says, your behavior alone, here, washing your hands, your behavior alone cannot make you clean. Your uncleanness is way deeper than just washing your hands. Your uncleanness will never be taken care of by washing your hands externally. 
Why? The problem is so much deeper. And so he's teaching his disciples. As you read the end of the passage last week, Peter comes and says, Lord, explain this parable to us. And so Jesus explains, and I believe he gives them at least two lessons that help us understand today's text. First, he explains to them that it is the heart that is unclean, and that is what must be made clean. So you can be as clean as you can. Steve calling me out last week. I can wash my hands all the time, and it never gets me to heaven. Because my heart is the problem, not my hands. It's the heart that is unclean. Secondly, though, notice this, because this is really key to where we're headed. The people that the disciples thought were the cleanest people before God were actually unclean. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, do you realize you've offended the Pharisees? Why? Because the disciples know they were reared in this culture where these are the religious teachers and they have made all of these laws, put them into a book called the Mishnah and you have all kinds of laws about how and when you can wash your hand and everything else that you could ever imagine. There are rules about it because we want to keep these rules to be clean before God and God has just said through Jesus to the disciples, All of those rules will not, cannot make you clean. So the very people that have been telling you, wash your hands, then then you can be clean, then you can be acceptable before God. The people that the disciples thought were as clean as anybody before God. This is ceremonial cleanness, right? Not just clean hands. This is pure before God, acceptable to Him. Those people are not clean. Clean. They're actually unclean. And so what Jesus does next in this text is unthinkable to the Jewish mind. And it challenges the disciples and us as we grow in our knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the text. Verse 21. Jesus went away and withdrew. It's not the first time that he's had to do this. He did this after... After Herod rejects him and believes that he's John the Baptist, and we know that he killed John the Baptist, so Jesus withdrew then. Here again, Jesus has offended the Pharisees, and so he withdraws. He went away from there and withdraws. Blomberg says in his commentary on this passage, Jesus had displayed his ideological withdrawal from the Pharisees. Now he withdraws geographically from Israel. So where does he go? Verse 21, he goes up to the district of Tyre and Sidon. If you don't recognize those names, let me call at least two places that you will have seen them. You saw them in this gospel just a few chapters ago in Matthew chapter 11 in the woes to the cities of Jerusalem or the cities of Israel. And God says, if Jesus says to them, if what I've done in your midst had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. So Jesus has not been here. Tyre and Sidon, we knew then, are two names of Old Testament cities. We recognize them from Old Testament. They are port cities that are north of Galilee, north of where Jesus is. And they're in the the district or, or the area of Phoenicia, just like Jesus is in the district or the area of Galilee. He's going to travel north into Phoenicia, and he's going to go in the district of these two cities, Tyre and Sidon. Matthew is bringing them up for a particular reason because Tyre and Sidon represent to us the enemies of Israel. So just as it was offensive for Jesus to have said, if they would have seen what you have seen, if the enemies of God's people would have seen what you have seen, they would have repented. Here he withdraws to the area, Matthew is saying, to an area that is of the cities of the, the enemies of the people of Israel. 
They're paradigms for enemies of God and God's people. And if Jesus leaving Galilee to go into this area is not enough to get your attention in this text, then the next part is even more. It's just glaring before you. He meets a woman there and begins to have a conversation with her, and she is a Canaanite woman. So he's going to the area that is the enemies of God's people. He's meeting a woman who is part of the people that have been enemies of God's for three, since 3000 B.C. These are people who inhabited the land that was promised to Abraham and they fought against Abraham and his people because they didn't want to relent and give what God had said, this belongs to Abraham. And so they are the enemies of God's people. So Jesus is in the area of those who have always been enemies of God's people. And he's speaking now to a lady who is an enemy of God's people. So note this, Jesus is going from the cleanest people that the disciples had ever perceived in their minds to the dirtiest folks that the disciples would have ever thought could be. And he's already said, you who are the cleanest in, in Israel, you're dirty. And now he's going to the people that his disciples could imagine no one worse than someone from Tyre and Sidon, someone that's a Canaanite. And let's look at what Jesus, it's unthinkable what he's doing. And if you get, if you leave here this morning and don't get the, the absolute paradox, the, 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 what God is doing in the word to show us faith, then you'll miss this entire thing. What he does here is astounding. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. After his conversation with this woman, he says, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. He has just confronted the cleanest, the cleanest people we know and said, you're dirty. And now after a conversation with the dirtiest people that his disciples would know, the enemies of God, he says, great is your faith to her? This strikes great question in my mind this morning, and I hope that it will strike questions in your mind. And it's something like this. I think that you and I have to see that as Jesus does this, the people that thought they were clean by their own works, to a Canaanite woman who all would know was, were, uh, she was unclean, and Jesus commends her faith. By the way, just as a matter of information for you, there are only two people in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus commends their faith. You've already seen one of them, and it's a Roman centurion. He is not an Israelite either. He's not a Jew. And Jesus says of him who comes to Jesus, in all of Israel I found no one with such faith. Now he's going to say to a Canaanite woman, an enemy of God's people, great is your faith. It brings us to this question, church, because Jesus is bringing his people, he's bringing those that he's teaching to, to faith. Matthew is writing so that you could come to faith in Christ. And so I ask this morning, what does great faith look like? Jesus doesn't use this term. Matthew uses the term great 20 times in the text. Jesus uses it one time relative to faith, and it's right here. Great faith. What does it look like? How do we recognize it? What does this Canaanite woman teach us about faith? I want to walk through the first part of this passage with you and just asking that question, how do I know 
what great faith is. How would it be revealed in me? And so three statements. We walk through the passage. Number one, ways that I believe this passage answers the question, what does great faith look like? Number one, great faith is revealed in who you believe Jesus is. Great faith is revealed in who you believe Jesus is. Do you understand the Pharisees are questioning who Jesus is? We've already gone through his identity. They believe that he's of Beelzebub. The crowds think he's just a great miracle worker, but they're not following him. They're astounded, but they turn so easily. And the disciples are beginning to learn who he is. And we're going to come to a climax in chapter 16 where Peter says, you are the son of God. All right? But here... We see a Canaanite lady whom everyone would think is the dirtiest of people. They're the enemies of God. And she comes to Jesus. Look at verse 22 because this is astounding. I want you to hear how uh, astounding this is in the text. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was shouting, Have mercy on me. Look what she calls him. O Lord, son of David. Now, from the beginning of Matthew, both of these have been titles that Matthew has used of Jesus to speak of who he is. And here is a Canaanite woman. She has not been in Galilee seeing all that Jesus has done. And she comes to him and says, Oh, Lord, you are God. That's what that means. This is a title for some. This would be, oh, it just means that she's acknowledging that he's a master, he's a teacher. Not in the Gospel of Matthew. Almost, we come to this gospel and see when Jesus is called Lord, it is referring to, in Matthew's gospel, his divinity. And so we must make the assumption this lady believes, and I think this is commendable faith, she believes that he is God. Let me ask you this. Your faith is revealed in who you believe Jesus is. Do you come to him as God? Secondly, son of David. Now understand, this is a non-Jew. Why would she even care? Son of David, he's a king that was dead long ago. And yet she comes and says, oh Lord, son of David, the promised one. This is pointing to the fact that there would be someone to come that would sit on the throne of David. I don't know how she knew these titles. The Bible doesn't tell us. But she comes recognizing who Jesus is. And so the question for me this morning, the question for you this morning, if we want to display, live out great faith, you must answer the question, not what you believe the preacher would say, not what you believe your Sunday school teacher would say, not what you would say to somebody that was asking you this in church, but functionally in your life, who do you believe Jesus is? I've said it in this place before. I'll say it to you again this morning. Do you understand how weird you are in this world that you're gathered in a church building? building because you believe that one man who walked upon this earth 2,000 years ago died and is no longer dead. He is alive today and he is our Lord and our Savior and our King. And he's coming back to set up his kingdom. This is what we confess. Who do you believe? Jesus is. Great faith is revealed in who you believe Jesus is. Secondly, great faith is revealed in what you believe Jesus can do. She says two things that I want you to note this morning. Have mercy on me. 
I want you just to come with me to that phrase in your heart. This woman is desperate for Jesus to act. And she comes to Jesus with the words, have mercy. Not, I deserve for you to act. Mercy is not asking for what I merit on my own. Mercy is asking for something that I have no worthiness for you to bring. But she recognizes, if I'm to have any hope, this one that I believe is Lord and Son of David, King forever, I come to Him. So Lord, have mercy on me. Now, look at her plea at the end of verse 23. I'm sorry, at the end of verse 22. My daughter is severely, wickedly oppressed by a demon. Heal her. Heal her. Now, if you have children, you probably relate to this lady uh, as well as anybody. This is a mom whose daughter is wickedly oppressed by a demon. If you don't have children, then think about the closest person that's to you that would be wickedly oppressed, death, not you don't even recognize them anymore, oppressed by a demon, and think about coming and, and hearing and thinking someone could do something about this. This is a mom who is begging God to do something on behalf of her daughter. Desperate faith, which leads, I believe, to her stubbornness in just a moment. But she believes Jesus can heal. This morning, I want to ask you and, and make this statement to you and then ask you, I don't believe that you will ever come to saving faith until you desperately believe that you need him and that he can heal you. So recognize this. It's only in recognition of who I am, have mercy on me. And it's only in recognition of what I can do Nothing that I come and look outside of me for someone who is able to do something and can do what I cannot do. You see, I think, church, this is the biggest barrier to faith both inside the church and outside the church in our world. Both inside the church and outside. We have people, you and I struggle in this moment. You and I struggle with believing that we can't do something on our own. That we need someone outside of us. And even if we believe Jesus can do it, we struggle with knowing who we are and what we can do and what we can deserve. Coming to Jesus with open hands saying, Lord, I have Nothing that commends me to you have mercy upon me. This woman, she knew who Jesus was. She knew what Jesus could do. But she also knew who she was and what she couldn't do. Which drove her to come to him. Heal, a desperate plea of a mother. Number three. Great faith is revealed And how you respond when your faith is tested. Great faith is revealed in how you respond when your faith is tested. We come to 
what I believe may be the problematic portion of this text, but I want to ask you this morning, read through it in the context of what Matthew's doing. Those who think they're clean or not clean, those who are unclean, Jesus is going to commend their faith. Jesus is showing us the faith of this unclean Canaanite lady and God through Christ is going to test her faith right up front because he's going to say, great is your faith. So thirdly, and perhaps most importantly here, great faith is revealed in how you respond when your faith is tested. Do you know this morning, church, your faith is going to be tested? Some of you, your faith is being tested right now. James said, count it all joys, brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And when steadfastness has had its full work, you will be complete, lacking in nothing. So do you know that your faith is going to be tested? How is her faith tested? Look at it with me. Verse 23 first, the silence of the healer. She is shouting, verse 22, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She's shouting is what the text says. And then Jesus didn't answer her a word. Now, this is opposite of what normally happens in the gospel of Matthew, isn't it? Every time that we've seen someone ask Jesus, the Bible says he immediately heals or he immediately speaks to them. Sometimes Jesus will address people that need healing before they ever speak to him. And he will bring this ministry of healing. And so here, Matthew is pulling out for us this woman, this Canaanite woman. She is shouting at Jesus and he says not a word to her. You ever been there? I've been there. I've been there. God, where are you? He doesn't say a word. She doesn't give up. How do I know? (laughs) Look at what happens next. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. She's following them. She won't be quiet. This is stubborn faith. It's persistent faith. And so she keeps on screaming, shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. God's silent. Does one of two things. You either turn and go after what you really believed anyway, or you'll stay because he's your only hope. Where are you? Great faith is revealed in how you respond when your faith is tested. Not only that, you may be stretched by the Savior. Look what happens next. Hmm. I'm sorry, I skipped. You might have uh, this second test of faith. First, Jesus is silent, the silence of the healer. Secondly, there's an insensitivity that comes, and I'll say this, the insensitivity of the saints. Look at what the disciples say. They don't say, come up here and talk to Jesus. Remember, they're Jews. She's a Canaanite. I don't know what they're thinking. They're probably different opinions. You know, I've often said, uh, if, the, if the disciples were Baptists, there are 12 different opinions on this lady right now, all right? Some of them believe, Jesus, just heal her and send her away so she'll be quiet. Some of them believe she's a Canaanite. You don't need to deal with her. We need to ignore her. Just get her out of here. Do whatever you have to do. So I don't know. They're probably all over the map on what they want to do. But what they all agree on is she is causing a distraction. And so Jesus, send her away. For she's crying out, she's shouting after us, as if Jesus didn't hear, right? Jesus knows. He knew when someone touched his hem of his garment in the middle of a crowd. They, it's like they're trying to inform Jesus, and they're like, can we get rid of her? For whatever reason, 
The very ones who know the power of Jesus just want her to be quiet. I find this to be true among the saints, which is the reason I said the insensitivity of the saints. When someone is living in faith, it makes us uncomfortable. And we just want them to be quiet. Can't you be just normal like the rest of us and just live our lives and, and not be radical? You know, let's, let's not be freakish for Jesus. Let's just be normal. This lady is desperate. And she doesn't care what the disciples or anybody else thinks about her. She's desperate and she comes to Jesus. Thirdly, oh, by the way, verse 25, notice her response to that. So, <laughs> I love this. They get uh, this conversation with Jesus, send her away for she's crying. He answers them. So Jesus says to them, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now look at her response. She came and knelt before him. So this is why I think she was following. She's shouting from away. The Bible says she came to him at that time. She heard what he said. She heard the disciples. She knew they were talking about her. And so she comes and kneels before him. Says again, Lord, help me. Notice her response in the midst of the silence of the healer and the insensitivity of the saints. She comes close and she takes a posture of humility and worship. Let me ask you today to learn from that. What do you do when your faith is tested? Would you come close? Does it drive you to the Lord or does it drive you away from the Lord? Does it drive you to humble worship of your Savior or does it drive you away? Great faith, it drives you to. Small faith, it drives you away. Jesus' response here is almost unthinkable. She's stretched by the Savior. And I will say, don't let this be more than it really is in this text, but I don't want to make it less than it is. So Jesus has already said, I was sent, verse 24, I was sent to the, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is saying, I came as a Jew to live as a Jew and to die because I am the seed of Abraham. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That is his purpose in his physical body here, all right? That's what he's doing. I don't make more of that than it is. His mission is going to be global. It is global. We're going to see that in this very text. But here he says, in stretching her faith, I was sent as a Jew. My primary ministry is to the Jews. And so that's his response to the disciples. She hears it. She comes and says, Lord, help me. In verse 26, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, by not right, what Jesus is saying is, if you are a parent, you have a moral obligation to feed your children. All right, we all agree with that. I mean, you do not withhold food from your children. He says it's not right. So the children, the Jews here, must be fed. And it's not right to take what God has sent me to do, to be a Jew, to live among the Jews, to die as a Jew, because it's the way God chose it from Abraham on. Jesus is saying, this is what I was sent for. And it's not right to take food from the children and throw it out to a dog you have to do what is morally you're morally obligated to do which is feed the children Jesus is saying I was sent to do what I'm doing and I'm doing it. it's not right for me not to do it all right now let's deal with the fact that he just called her a dog all right don't it, 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 there are two words for dog in the Greek it is the stray dogs that are uh, none of us like they're out they're wild they're running around it's not what he calls her he calls her a house pet. 
So it's different, and this is what brings her response, you know, because he says it's not right to take the children's food and give it to the dogs, the pets in the house, and she says, oh Lord, but don't you know that the pets even get to come and eat what crumbs fall on the table or, or, or on the floor, don't they? And you know this to be true. This is, she's just saying, aren't there Lord, I, I realize that. I'm not going to question your mission. I'm not going to question why you came. But aren't there, uh, isn't there a possibility? Aren't there crumbs that are left over after the children eat that would be for the dogs as well? Don't they get to eat the crumbs that fall on the floor that would be no longer suitable for the children? And so she is taking what Jesus has said and basically turning it and saying, Oh Lord, but isn't there something? You're our only hope. Listen to this. You have a desperate, broken woman. And being called a dog is not enough to drive her away from the Savior. Why? Jesus is my only hope. I know who he is. I know what he can do. So when my faith is tested, I'm following after him. And he's not only the hope for Israel, the chosen people of God. Genesis 12 says the seed of Abraham will also be a promise to bless all the nations. And so Jesus says to her, O woman, great is your faith be it done for you as you desire and watch this her daughter was healed instantly this is the power of our savior and this is the power that you and i experience when we come to him in faith like this who do you believe jesus is what do you believe he can do and this morning where i want to really push you is how is your faith in the midst of the test? Some of you this morning would say, hey, I'm in the middle of silence. I don't know where the Lord is. I, I, he hasn't said anything. I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And I'm praying. I'm seeking. I'm trying to stay close. Is that driving you close to the Lord? Is it driving you away? Some of you have the insensitivity of the saints. There are other people who just criticize and they, they're pushing you and they don't know how to speak and nurture and so they're not saying the right things. And so is your response to come close to be in humility and worship posture before the Lord and say, Lord, help me. I want to stay here. I just want to be in your presence. I, if nothing else happens in my life, if nothing else goes right in my life, I just want to be in your presence. Lord, help me. How about when he stretches your faith and says no not now wait it's the way the lord answers our prayers the way our faith responds this lady had faith because jesus is my only hope and i'm going to persevere in the midst of it so the dirtiest jesus says great is your faith church this gives me hope because i know that i'm not clean on my own Right, So let me, let me pull this out for you. The reason I bring this up this morning, we're going to move on in this text. Most of you, just like me, struggle at different times with your faith. And when our faith is small in Christ, our faith grows in us. And we either end there in one of two places. Some of you end like the Pharisees and you're doing okay with life. Things are going well. Um, 
your family's good, your life is good, your job is good, and you look and you say, hey, I must be doing something right. God's blessing me. And so it ends in pride, right? I'm prideful in the way that I'm living. I'm, I'm morally doing good. And Jesus is, he, man, he's, he's helping me that. And I have pride in me. You're a Pharisee. You think, hey, I'm washing my hands the right way. And so, man, I'm pleasing God all is well. Pride. When that crashes, and if it hasn't crashed for you, it will. You end up on the other side, and that's despair. That's where this Canaanite woman is. You realize you ha- it doesn't matter how much you wash your hands, how many rules you keep. There is no response. There is no coming to commend you uh, to the Lord. And so you're in despair. Whether this morning you struggle as a Pharisee thinking I'm making more rules and I'm living by them and I'm doing a pretty good job at it. God ought to be proud of me. Or if you're in this place of despair where you think there's no matter what I do, I can't be commended by God. The Bible's invitation to you is to come to Jesus, the only hope that you have. So Jesus confronts you if you're a Pharisee and says the problem's way worse than you thought it was. He confronts you if you're this Canaanite woman and says you have only one hope. Even if I push you and challenge your faith, will you trust me? And the Canaanite woman, the one who is in despair, is the one who comes and says, Lord, I have nothing else. I'm coming to you. Help me. Where are you today? Now, major point of this text with these Canaanites is that God is concerned with more than the Jews. His mission is more than that. So let me briefly take you through the rest of the passage. It won't take me that long. Just let's walk through it. Verse 29 through 31, we have another healing section. Notice what happens. Jesus went on from there and walked by the, beside the Sea of Galilee. <coughs> Excuse me. He stays in a Gentile area. He stays out of Israel here. And that's significant because what I want you to see is that Jesus, in this discussion of the Lord's, or, or I was sent to the house of Israel, he's not saying there is no salvation outside of Israel. He's saying there's a broad mission here, there is a global mission. And that's seen down in verse 31 when he gets done with this mission and they glorify who? The God of Israel. You wouldn't say that if it, this were a Jewish nation. If this were in the Jewish culture or the Jewish section in Galilee, you wouldn't say, oh, they glorify the God of Israel. Mark tells us this is the Decapolis. Matthew doesn't tell us where he is here. He's still in a Gentile world, and he heals and teaches there. I love the way this passage reads. All right, We've seen teaching and healing passages before. This one, Jesus stepping out of Israel into the Gentile world, which should be good news for you and me. The gospel is not just for the Jews. <clears throat> Excuse me, Paul will say, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. That's what this text is teaching us. So Jesus is in this Greek or this Gentile area. And look at what it says. He went up on the mountain, sat down there. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd yet again is wondering, amazed at our Savior. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God 
of Israel. God's ministry in Christ is now extended into this area. This is leading us, church, to the end. I'm already thinking from the very beginning, son of Abraham, son of David, the authority of his teaching, the power of his healing. When we get to Matthew 28, he's going to say, all authority has been given to me. Now go into all the world. This is our Savior with a global mission that reaches us. So they glorified the God of Israel. And then in this wonderful text, verse 32 and following, Jesus now feeds the 4,000. You're going to read through this and you're going to say, man, that sounds a lot like we just read. Yes, we did in chapter 14. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Here, listen, here's what's significant. He is in a Gentile region. Do you remember what we were saying about Jesus when he was in the feeding the 5,000? Jesus is the new Moses. This is showing us he is providing food just like God provided manna. He is providing himself here in this physical uh, uh, feeding, uh, miraculous feeding. He is showing, I'm the new Moses, but John 6, the bread that I'm giving you here is pointing to the fact, John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the manna come down from heaven. And it's not only for the Jews. Here, I'm feeding miraculously these 4,000 that's in the Gentile area. You'll see some differences in this feeding. It's in a different location, number one. But notice here, Jesus says in verse 32 to his disciples, he looks at his disciples and he says, I have compassion on the crowds. In the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew said, Jesus had compassion and so he wanted, he said to his disciples, do something here. We have Jesus looking at the Gentiles, looking at the unclean. That's us. And saying, I have compassion on them. Look at what he says. Because they have been met with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I love this. I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. I'm going to spiritualize that just to end my sermon. And that is, aren't you glad our Savior is unwilling to send us away hungry? But he gave us himself. If I could this morning, we would just end celebrating the Lord's Supper. We're going to do so in two weeks. But I want you to remember this passage then. Because our Savior says, this is my body. And it's broken for you. This is my blood. And it's shed for you. He miraculously provides for what you and I need for eternal life. He's unwilling to send us away hungry. But he offers us himself, lest on the way we faint. Church, this is our glorious Savior. And look, here's what's the same. Verse 37, and they all ate and were satisfied. Exact same sentence. And they all ate and were satisfied. Praise our great God. He provides for our needs. The Gentiles find a new Moses. And this new Moses is one who will provide for the unclean as well as the clean. And you and I can trust this Savior whose authority and power and His compassion extend to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So this morning, for the outcast and for those who are not outcast, for those who believe they're clean, the Pharisees, the morally upright, and for those who know they're dirty, this Savior is for you and He provides eternal food. And it is Himself. Come to Him. Trust Him. So I end. How's your faith? How's your faith? Who do you believe Jesus is? What do you believe he can do? And know this, it's revealed in its testing.